number 10 for Brendan Taylor. He's got the Australian captain. We're talking about Rivada. We're talking about how good he is. And there it is. His 39th one day international 100. The King gets his crown at the Adelaide Oval. Go on, take it. Deep in Wigan. Glenn Maxwell celebrates. Eric Coley cannot believe it in the middle of the ground. Welcome to the DNet Stumps podcast. Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket show with expert analysis by Dean Duplessis. Hello and welcome to the Dean at Stumps podcast with me, Dean Duplessis. Always great to be with you. And uh, just a reminder, as we always do at the top of the show, anybody listening to the show for the first time, and if you'd like to subscribe, well, it's pretty simple, really. All that you do is you go to your preferred podcast app, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Downcast. You search for Dean at Stumps. And that is not the email sign at, by the way. It is AT Stumps. Subscribe and you uh, listen to the likes of Kumar Sangakara, JP Dumini, Murray Goodwin, uh, Dave Houghton, Sean Pollock, and many, many more. And another one who is about to be added to the list, well, one of the finest batsmen of the modern era um, who South Africa and the world has seen. His name is Abraham Benjamin de Villiers. Did I get that correct, Mr. 360? That is about uh, right. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to be talking to you. The Afrikaans accent, not too bad there, is it? <laughs> no, pretty good. Eh? You're not too far away from, from where I live, so I'm not surprised. AB, <laughs> thank you, first of all, um, and sir, more importantly, for being on the show. Um, it, it's a question, I guess, that gets asked to you quite a bit, but what on earth are you up to in these very, very strange times we find ourselves in? Yeah, look, I've... Since I was a little boy, um, I've always had the ability to just uh, let go of things that I can't control, and I'm not too worried about it too much. It's, it's uncontrollable what, what's happened in the last while, this pandemic, COVID-19, as we, as we all know. And the, and the most important thing is to really just focus on, on the things that you can control, and, and, and that is day-to-day living, um, staying fit, spending quality time with my family, uh, making sure my boys... Um, get taught some valuable life lessons. Um, but I, I've, I've had a ball of a time, to be honest. I haven't spent so much time at home in ages. I can't actually remember when last I've been at home for a few months. So um, it has been pretty special in its own way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, togetherness of family is one of the things I know that you've always prided yourself on is is being with your family. And it's so nice that you are privileged and uh, a lot of us are privileged enough because there are so many people, AB, who, uh, who unfortunately are not able to be together with their family in these strange times. That is true. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate and I, I certainly remind myself of that every evening when I put the boys to bed. Yeah. Um, I look at them and just... I just feel a lot of gratitude and um, the fact that we're all healthy and, and, and safely at home. I know there are a lot of people that, that are not so lucky. And um, during these trying times, I've, I've helped. I've, I've tried to help and try to play my part in, in helping people. Um, we, we need being where I could put out a reach a hand for help. But um, a lot of people have done some amazingly good work around the world. And um, it's, it is these kind of times that, are, that really test the human race and, and test our hearts and um, it's a perfect time to really make sure your neighbour is alright. Absolutely right, AB. Now, um, let's get straight into the meat and potatoes now. Um, you, you are one of these incredibly multi-talented individuals where uh, there was a time where I understand you had been offered a scholarship where you could have gone to America to have pursued a tennis career, which was very impressive and very good. Uh, but you opted to stick to cricket and uh, and pursue your cricketing career. Now, you, knowing you, you probably would have been very successful 
on the ATP circuit. I'm sure you would have got as far as that. Um, so what made you decide to go ahead with cricket? Yeah, look, I really enjoyed my tennis back in the day. Um, I don't think I... Um I certainly had that same kind of competitive edge, actually. <laughs> um, I was I was one of those grinders, and uh, I'd, I'd run every ball down. It reminds me a lot of um, watching Nadal and Djokovic. I think I would have been very similar, just really grinding opponents down. <laughs> um, but so I, I, you look, you'd never know. I was I was 14 when I really decided to let the tennis go, which is quite young. But also being a South African. It's crucial at a young age, um, which I wasn't prepared to do, but it's crucial at a young age to, to go abroad and, and get the proper proper training that you need and the exposure to, to world-class players and, and to study there. And I, I would have had to uh, leave home at, a, at the age of 10, 11. I think that um, opportunity came around and there was just no way I was ready to go and um, sit, sit in another country and, <laughs> yeah. and miss home. I, I think it would have really affected a lot, a lot of other things that are more important to me. Um, so it was. I, I think I made the right decision. Not think. I know I made the right decision. I, I, I had a normal upbringing or whatever you call normal these days. Um, <laughs> we don't know anymore. But I had an upbringing with my family, my friends. I made some uh, friendships that will that will last for a lifetime. Um, I went to a school where all sports were participated in rugby, cricket, tennis, golf. So I never let that go until I was about 16, 17, 18, around that time where I decided, okay, you know what, I'm going to give a little bit of extra attention to cricket. I feel um, I have a special talent in this game. Unbelievable. And, and in virtually no time, you, you, uh, when you decided at that six, 16, 17, 18-year-old uh, age, you, you then uh, in virtually no time had got yourself into what was initially known as Northerns and then became the Titans in 2004-05 when the franchise uh, system kicked in. I, I remember that my first, my first observation of you, and I'm going to use that word observation even though I'm blind, is uh, a game that you played which was then for the Titans against the Dolphins. And opening the batting in those days, if I'm not mistaken, and, and the way yeah. that you went about in such an aggressive but at the same time skillful manner. And, and I remember saying to my late brother, I think we're going to hear this name, Abe de Villiers, and very, very soon. But I didn't realize that a couple of months later, you would be debuting alongside Dale Stane against England in Port Elizabeth. I mean, that, that rise from being, a, a, you know, with hardly playing first class cricket to suddenly yeah. finding yourself playing test cricket must have been a lot to deal with. Yeah, it was a. It all happened very quickly. Um, look, I not not just about myself, but I can say that about anyone. If you're really clear with what you want to achieve, and um, and you sort of put your mind to it, a lot of things can happen quickly. <laughs> so, as I mentioned, around it was probably even a bit later. Look, I, I played cricket at school and I played all sports. Um, when I was 16, 17, I realised because I made the SA Colts and the SA um, school team. I realized that there could be a possibility for me to pursue this as a career. And I, I, I think I, I still didn't decide then. Once I was 18, literally the first year after school, actually, that's where I really put my mind to cricket. And I decided to let everything else go and just give it a full, full go. Okay. And from, from, that, from that day, it, was, it wasn't, I think, 12 months where I, where I made my debut. So it happened quickly, and um, it was one hell of a ride. Look, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't even at the time really think that I deserved my spot in the team, but I somehow managed to find my way there. And then the whole battle of really um, fine-tuning my technique started, um, and that, that took me five years before I really started feeling comfortable at the crease.
Is that so? So what, that would have been 2004. So in other words, that around about 2008, 2009. 2008, that's yeah, right. Absolutely. All right, so which leads me up rather nicely to the next question. 2008 was a very good year for you because, uh, first of all, you embarked on a tour of England in 2008 where the team where you personally actually started to really as you say discover yourself because what you were then able to do is not just uh, you know play that very free-flowing and expansive game that everybody knew you were capable of but now you began to understand about strike rotation about absorbing pressure and uh, and then eventually start to deal with with uh, bad bowling so the England tour was pretty good for you, but the one I want to focus on, AB, was the the, t- the tour uh, to Australia in 2008. And of course, I'm sure you know exactly where I'm going to, and we're going to the Wacker in Perth. I'd like you to please talk to us about that brilliant, brilliant run chase that South Africa orchestrated so nicely. I've had JP Dumini on on the podcast, and he told me his side, and, and you know how you and uh, you and uh, JP just communicated. Tell me, your, what was that like going into the final day? Did you honestly believe that if we batted properly, we could actually do this? I did, and it's it's something that's always been with me. I've, I, I always believe in the impossible. I always <laughs> believe anything is is is. is um, it's possible to get done, you know. So um, that's something that's always been in my mind. And I, I think that was really a crucial time for the Proteus to have a few youngsters who have been unscarred by any past tours, um, uh, touring Australia, England. Um, I, I know the Proteus have never won a series there at the time. And um, JP and I specifically felt, and Dale as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it really, but we just had this fearless way of playing, you know. And we had no... Um, extra added fear or added emotions because of what happened in the past against Australia. We just came up there and we realized these oaks were pretty good, but anything anything felt possible to us. So, and I, I think that was key for for some of the older guys in the team, the seniors. I know Graham Smith alluded to it, to it once or twice in an interview that I've heard before, and Boucher as well, um, saying that they really needed those kind of youngsters who just had no history of playing against Australia. They're just coming there and that's, they just play the games and. As we fed off the, the senior guys, the seniors fed off us, off, off us as well. And it was just a really good combination at the time, um, which ultimately led to us winning that first test match. And then we really started to believe that we could win a series in Australia. Um, entering on that final day, I had some music in my ears, um, arriving with a combi. I think I was on, uh, I can't remember how many runs, maybe 30, 40 not out. I'm not 100% sure, but... Yeah. Um, maybe even less, but I felt I felt like something special was going to happen on the day. It, it really did feel like a special day, and I, I always have those um, and those kind of dreams in my head of achieving the impossible. And it felt like an impossible <laughs> um, challenge at the time. But um, I found myself at the wicket, really just focusing on the ball. There was a lot of outside noise, but I could hear that song in my head almost um, when you really feel like you're in the zone. Uh, there's a little tune playing in your head, and that tune was seeing the ball well. It all happened in slow motion. And um, I was incredibly motivated of the team. And um, it could not have ended in a better way, standing at the crease with my old friend JP, similar cricket weeks to get three years at that, getting his 50 um, of that loss. Um, the two of us being the two guys to be there at the end to win the first test match against us at Perth. So it was, it was an incredible special memory for me. 
Abi, you've, you've often spoken about being in the zone or, or being in a bubble. So I would imagine that when you chased down that monumental total of 414, you would have been in the zone. You would have been in that bubble that you've often alluded to and that you've spoken of. Another time I can remember was those 200s that you scored against the West Indies, the 100 at, at the Wanderers where you broke every single record imaginable. And then again in the 2015 World Cup, in Australia, you did it again against the West Indies. Uh, what, when you go into the, that, that bubble that you allude to, what actually goes, you know, are there a great deal of things that you think of? I would imagine world records and so on is the last thing that's on your mind when you in that in that bubble. Yes, John, nothing about records or any personal stats um, ever comes to mind, uh, to be honest. Um, it's all about really just understanding what's happening around me and the situation of the game and the situation I find myself in and the situation my team is in, what's required for me to contribute in a way that will put my team in the position where we can't lose the game. That's my ultimate goal every time I go out to bat. Now, sometimes it takes 30 to 40 balls to, to get to a point where I feel like, you know what, I can maybe turn the momentum around. Sometimes it takes a couple of overs. And sometimes, like that day, um, the pink day in 2015, it took one ball to, to, to make me feel like, you know what, um, I've got four of one ball here. The bowler bowled a slow ball, which, which shows me he's, he's nervous about me at the crease at the moment. There's 11 overs to go. I'm really just going to do everything I can to make sure I take this total out of, um, out of, out of the reach for the West Indies. So I think that's what, what goes into mind. And as I alluded to, it sometimes takes one ball, sometimes five, six overs. Um, but all you want to do, achieve as a batter, is to feel comfortable, to see the ball well, to feel your balance is in, in tune and, and everything else is there. And then you can start showing off the skills and start building your, your innings um, um, in, in, a, in a manner that you can get to a position where you can really expose the opposition. So that's, that's basically what goes through my mind. And, and, and when you speak of skills and, and transferring pressure, AB, which is one thing that you do, you absorb pressure, but you're incredibly good at transferring pressure. So that now, again, takes me to a test match against the Australians. Now, in your test career, you've scored 22 hundreds, uh, which is pretty remarkable in itself. Would I be wrong in suggesting to you that your last Test 100, the one you scored against Australia at Port Elizabeth in 2018, would I be fair in saying that that would rank as one of your best Test 100s and why? Yeah, that's, that's certainly the best Test 100 I've ever played. I think it's possibly, possibly even better than the world records that I have in ODIs. Um, that, was, that was by a long way my best Test innings. Um, the reason for that is everything that was on on. On the line um, in that innings, uh, we were busy losing momentum. The series was on the line. I mean, the Aussies were one all up. It's it's an absolute must win. Otherwise, we'd never come back against the Aussies. Once the tails are up, mm. you don't get a chance to to open up the door again. Um, the fact that I just didn't make a mistake, I, I I can't even even remember playing and missing at a delivery on a wicket that was really there was always something in it for the bowlers. There, there was towards the middle of my innings, the the ball started reverse swinging. There was turn for lion. And, and possibly, arguably, the, the three best, the, uh, well, the best seeming, seam attack at that time in the world. Um, maybe ours were a little bit, little bit better than theirs. I don't know. It's a close call. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, having a Cummins and a Stark and a Hazelwood running in on a, on a wicket that's doing a bit and then reversing and also a lion. And then I just felt I played a flawless knock. I, I didn't make a mistake. I felt in control. My, my emotions were high, running high because of what happened in the previous test. So I was incredibly motivated and I was quite vocal, which I'm normally am not at the crease, but I was calling out loud, yes and no, 
I was in their faces. I was making eye contact with Warner. I was looking them in the eye. And so I really put myself on the line for the team that day. And then sometimes when you do that, you really get a big fright because you know that if you get out here, you, you're going to get a good send-off. Um, but then standing up and actually achieving what I wanted to achieve and getting us into a position where we can win the test match um, was, a, was, a, was a big hurdle that I overcame on, on the day. And I, it, it turned out to be my final test 100 um, for, for South Africa and certainly the most special one. Mm, absolutely. When, what is it when, when Australia and South Africa get together on a pitch and especially in a test series? You know, we, we, everybody loves talking about the ashes and the whole uh, everything around the ashes. Maybe uh, another one or two series that you could mention as well. But I tell you what, bring, bring together an Australian and a South African on a test pitch and it brings the best out of you, but it also brings the very worst out of you. Into <laughs> It was an incredibly t- tense test series, wasn't it? Because you had uh, the Australians who, in my opinion, overstepped the line. There's nothing wrong with a bit of banter and a bit of sledging, but boy, on this occasion, AB, they definitely did overstep their line, or the line, should I say, with what they said and, and everything that, that happened. I mean, the theatrics of what you did in Port Elizabeth. And I'd like you now to tell me or to talk to us a bit about what in, in Cape Town, the sandpaper saga. How did you... What what was going through your mind? Where were you? I mean, you weren't you weren't at the crease at the time, and 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 what happened? You know, what were you thinking when you suddenly saw all of this unfold? Yeah, there's a lot that happened in that series, and it's a shame. It's um, well, maybe it's not a shame. It it's maybe uh, sort of sort of adds to the quality of cricket that play, was played. A lot of people say that oh, it's such a shame. This is going to dampen a really good test series, but I think it actually shows you how much there was to play for and, and the emotions that were happening in both the sides and how much it meant to both sides. So that makes it even better, I think, the, 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 the quality of cricket that was played. And it was overshadowed at times um, with a lot of things that happened, a lot of banter, a lot of thing, foul things that were said, um, the ball tampering saga, and then the whole new Aussie squad flying in for the final test. There's so much that happened. You can almost you can almost <laughs> release a movie with everything that happened. Oh, but yes. um, for us to to really maintain calm, um, the calmness that we had throughout the series, especially being wandled down and being slated um, verbally, and being beaten by better better cricket um, in that first test, to come back from that was was incredible. And it shows you the amount of pressure we really put on the Aussies. And um, the reason why we always have a brutal contests against each other is because we play a similar brand. We, we, we're very similar in the way we um, approach the game. We like to be aggressive. We like to be competitive. We both have this never-say-die attitude. And when you put two teams with a similar kind of makeup on the field, it's, it's bound to really clash in a, in, a, in a bad way. So that's normally what happens between the two teams. But being at the crease here in Cape Town, um, once again, I was, I was batting while I was, I think I was on 50-odd and not out. I was facing an onslaught of Cummins really bowling, bowling the speed of light at that time. Um, I, I knew from the first test match something was happening with the ball. So it, to me, it was a matter of time um, because we, we really put a lot of spotlight on all the individuals in that team, the way we play cricket. Um, also, um, obviously, being away from home for them, the cameras were on them. So I could, I could really see the pressure getting to them, um, not only from, a, from tampering the ball point of view, but... Um, the, the way they were communicating, the way they were trying to get back into the game, I could see it on the bowlers' faces. They were showing tenseness. And um, I don't know, it, it all just broke out quickly. Um, obviously, whoever was busy with the ball at the time sort of handed it over to the youngster and 
he was inexperienced with it. I think, and um, unfortunately, with all the pressure that was happening around them, um, I, I don't know, they got exposed. And um, I was there at the crease. Um, I wasn't surprised when it happened. As I said, I, I had an idea that it was going on for the whole series. And um, I mean, all everything just came tumbling down for them, and we started playing even better cricket. Then <laughs> we ended up going up two one there, and then we went off to Joburg, and um, we knew we had the momentum behind us. They had a few new faces, and and we just nailed um, nailed it down there in the final test. Do you miss Do you miss international cricket, Ab? I'll always miss it. I'll always miss when I cross the ropes um, wearing the badge and. Uh, I have a lot of pride playing for my nation. Um, there's nothing better than that, especially with your, your 10 friends around you that have got the same idea and same goals in mind. And, and we all know we look at each other and we all have that fighting spirit in us. And we know we're out here to battle. Again, sometimes a team that's better than us, sometimes not. But we always have that same mindset of no matter what happens out here today, we're going to fight till the end. Um, I will always miss that. Um, till, the day, till the day that I'm not here anymore, I'll miss, miss that. <clears throat> but... But there's a lot of other things that um, that came into play over the last few years of my career. Um, family, I had little ones running around, and um, I started weighing up my priorities. And unfortunately, towards the end of my career, um, being at home with a with a family more often uh, was more important for me to to go and enjoy those times yeah. <laughs> with a, with a cricket team. But it's it's it is what it is. I mean, it's I've had a fantastic um, career. I've had 15 amazing years of creating memories. And who knows? Maybe it's not over yet. There's, there's talks, and they still believe that I could play maybe one more tournament for South Africa if it works out. It would be great. I'm going to do everything in my ability to be there um, for one more, for one last time. If it doesn't work out that way, then so be it. Let me tell you, you've just made a hundred thousand people all over the world jump up and down with uh, with joy by what you just said. We're going to wrap it up now, Abi. I've already taken a bit too much of your time, but it's been so nice talking to you. Um, do you feel? That players that the that that the cricketers in South Africa are being treated fairly by the board. It's a bit of a dodgy question, but I'll ask you anyway. No, it's fine. It's it's fine. I mean, look, it's we, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Um, I think the board make decisions um, that's the best for cricket um, and and South, uh, cricket in South Africa um, from from a grassroots level right up to the national national team. So it's not an easy job to have. Um, I, I don't think it's a South African board thing that's that's the issue. Um, I think it's it was, it was a global issue for years where um, players were just expected to rock up and just go on. And um, people, I, I don't think people at the top would always realise that a, when a player's career is anything longer than 10 years, there's a lot that happens in the guy's life in 10 to 15 years. And um, from a personal point of view, away from the game, the, how he deals with the media, how he's missing his family, does he all of a sudden have children? Maybe his father has heart issues at home. Those are the things that no one talks about. And and players are just expected to rock up day in and day out and just to give it their all. And I think that has changed over the years, especially now in Cricket South Africa with a new board um, of directors. Graham Smith is involved, involved um, Boucher, Callis, you can name the, the name, the list goes on of people who have, have been there before themselves, they understand the game, they understand the emotions players are going through, and they understand, most important of all, that a person's situation changes from year to year. And um, once the communication channels have opened up at CSA, <clears throat> with regards to that, I think it's it's going to go a lot better, and, and players' careers will last for longer, and players will be happier for longer. And, and that's ultimately what it's about. If you get a happy player on the field, 
you get happy performances. So, um, look, I, I, I won't say anything bad about Cricket South Africa. I've, I've been the most fortunate guy to have played there for 15 years under them. They've looked after me like a, like a child of theirs. Um, they might have, and look, I'm, I'm just as guilty. I could have communicated better, better over the years. But for most part of my career, I was incredibly happy. There were a couple of moments here and there where I maybe missed home. I was maybe worried about my dad's health at home. Things like that I, I felt I couldn't talk about. But those channels are certainly open now. So um, let's, let's hope I, I get one more crack at the cherry. We'll see what happens. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll stay fit for the meantime and, and, and try and stay in form. I can't imagine you not being fit, AB. Even if you're, if you're 80 years old, I reckon you'll still be one of the fittest 80-year-olds. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. I've, I've been working out. I must say, I have a little, tiny little gym in my house with a treadmill. So I've, I've been on there every day during lockdown, and I'm absolutely loving it. I started eating some balls last week. It felt amazing, and um, I'm looking forward to eat some more in the future. Oh, absolutely. AB de Villiers, it's been an absolute privilege and joy and honor having you on the Dean at Stumps podcast. I was going to ask you uh, who your who the toughest spell or what the, when the toughest spell of bowling was that you faced but we have run out of time thank you so much for taking time out of your day to be on a very amateur little podcast from harari zimbabwe it's uh, not sky sports it's not super sport but it's uh, somebody who appreciates what you've been doing for the last 15 years thank you so much for your time thanks dean and it might come as a surprise to you but i'll quickly throw that in it's uh, it would be mohammed asif in 2006 um, the Pakistani bowler then uh, in the South African series ah, we played yes, yes. Was, was probably the best seam bowling that I've ever faced in my life. He wasn't the fastest, but oh my word, he was like a Glenn McGraw combined with a Vernon Philander. Um, a bit of bounce, bit of pace, and nibble around uh, around the crease all the time. So opening the batting at the time, he really, he really was a handful. But anyway, thanks for having me, Dean, and um, hope you're well and hope the listeners enjoyed um, the conversation. I'm sure they did. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening to the Dean Hudson's podcast. We'll be back again with another big name pretty soon, but until then, it's goodbye. You've been listening to Dean at Stumps, Zimbabwe's only weekly cricket podcast.